chapter 7. So the king and Haman went in to feast with Queen Esther. And on the second day, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again said to Esther, What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish, and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, Who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, A foe and an, an, an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine, as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. And the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence, in my own house? As the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs in attendance on the king, said, Moreover, moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on that. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the wrath of the king abated. This is the word of God. Thank you, Eileen, for the <clears throat> reading of God's Word. It's such an encouragement to hear the beautiful testimonies of both uh, Shen and Sherry, and welcome to OCC. Thank you. So, let us begin with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, as we look into your Word in Esther chapter 7, may your Holy Spirit be with us to guide us, instruct us, mold us, and transform us to be vessels and instruments that you can use for the expansion of your kingdom on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, we heard from Aaron how he preached on the providence of God at the turning point in the story of Esther in Esther chapter 6. In Esther chapter 7, we are brought to the climactic part of the story and there's no shortage of twists and turns as the plot thickens and the drama unfolds. Aaron showed us last week how God providentially guided events that honoured Mordecai rather than Haman in chapter 6. In today's message on Esther chapter 7, 
I would like to examine the story from the perspective of man's responsibility and one of life's greatest mystery. How does one reconcile the free will of man with the sovereignty of an almighty God? How is it that man can act independently with all the faculties, abilities, and resources that are available to him, and yet his actions, taken individually or collectively as mankind, can only work towards the fulfilment of God's ultimate purpose for the world. The implications are important and far-reaching. It should impact the way we live by faith in Christ. It also has tremendous ramifications for those who have yet to know Christ or accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. In our study of Esther chapter 7, we shall have a glimpse of this amazing mystery. Although God may not be seen or heard in this chapter, or for that matter, the entire book of Esther, all things work towards achieving God's ultimate purpose for the world. That is, salvation and preservation of his people through Jesus Christ, and death and destruction of evil and sinners as the full force of God's wrath and justice is meted out. The important question to ask is, firstly, are you on the right side or the wrong side of God? And secondly, how do you get to the right side of God? We shall examine the issue of man's free will and God's sovereignty in the context of Esther chapter 7 and draw the following key points. Firstly, the wisdom of man serves God's sovereignty. Secondly, the actions of man fulfills God's sovereignty. And thirdly, the final destiny of man expresses God's sovereignty. Let's begin with the first point. The wisdom of man serves God's sovereignty. At this point of the story, Haman has already tricked the king into unwittingly signing the decree to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in Esther chapter 3, verse 13. Haman has conceived an evil plan, and he even planned to have Mordecai hung. Queen Esther now has a crisis in her hands. If she does nothing about the king's decree, she and her Jewish compatriots are going to die. She has not admitted openly that she's a Jew, but it will soon find out. If her plans to secure the safety of her people fails, she will also perish under the king's wrath. So in chapter 7, Esther is now holding the second consecutive banquet for the king. Haman is the only invited guest at the banquet. And in verse 2, as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king again asked Esther. And this is the third time that the king asked the same question. What is your wish, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Even half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Now, why is Esther playing coy and delaying her answer? In Esther chapter 4, Esther has already told Mordecai that she hasn't seen the king for the past 30 days. In order to win the confidence and trust of the king, Esther needs to re-establish her relationship with the king again. She needs to make the king realize that she is his favorite queen. She also needs to figure out how and when she can put the message across about Haman and his evil plan against the people without attributing the blame on the king who signed the decree. 
she cannot afford to make the king look like an idiot. So she needs to be shrewd, tactful, patient and wise. It would be foolhardy for her to just blurt out what is on her heart, although it has been troubling her for many days. She needs to be clever in plotting a circuitous path that will sink the ball into the hole. Now, whenever we encounter very difficult, anxious or painful moments in our lives, we often find it difficult to bottle up all our feelings and anxieties within ourselves or control our emotional anguish. We tend to want to find some ways of ventilating it. Some may go for a jog or exercise, yet some may go so far as to burst out or lash out at others or at the situation that's creating the anxieties. Esther shows great mastery and control over her own emotions. She kept her cool. It is her inner strength coupled with her outward beauty that makes her character admirable. Esther now needs to be careful in her choice of words. How she says it and when she says it are just as important as, as what she says. Timing is everything. She needs to wait for the opportune moment. She needs to woo the king and win his heart. Esther has to draw on all the savviness that she can master. Now, if you think about it, don't we all use our best effort to think of solutions to our problems? But just as important as the plan itself, Esther shows us that when we say it, and how we say it and what we say are all equally important. Some people like to say that they are straightforward and forthright in their speech. What they mean to say is that you should prepare to be offended by their next statement. Don't we all know of people who are like this? While we might portray that as being honest and forthright, at the heart of it, it is really a heart of pride. It's a heart that says, I don't really care what you think, but you must care about what I think. This usually doesn't go down very well. Ironically, the point that is made is usually lost on the person being offended. Esther shows us a better way. There is wisdom, patience and tact in her words. Likewise, we should learn to employ wisdom, patience and tact in our words when dealing with others. More may be accomplished. But where is God in all these chess moves? Is God aware of the danger that belies Esther and her people? Does God even care? Esther could not have known for sure what the outcome of her actions would be. It is just like all of us. We can never tell all the effects of our decisions to the second and third order. Esther just did what she thought would be the best course of action, walk by faith and trust the results to God. What she has within her control, however, is her choice to exercise wisdom patience, and tact. Now, all of Esther's human ingenuity and Haman's cunningness, as we will see, serves God's sovereign purpose. Through Esther's wisdom, Haman and his evil plan to exterminate God's people are put to death. Esther's wisdom served God's purpose. Second point, the actions of men fulfill God's sovereignty. The king asked Esther the third time, what her wish was and how it should be fulfilled. Now, this is an opportune moment for Esther to strike. The king has reaffirmed to Esther his willingness to give as much as half of his kingdom to her. The king is expecting Esther to make a big request. 
He is prepared to accede to her. Esther knows that surely the king will lose his face if he backs down from her request at this point. You could feel the tension rising in the situation. The king is listening intently. Haman, the only invited guest at the banquet, is probably aroused with curiosity. Everyone in the room is now straining their ears to hear what Queen Esther has to say. What will she ask for? Surely it must be something very important to be waiting for two banquets to, be, to make this request. Mastering whatever courage that she can find. And yet, with extreme tact and humility, Esther launches into her pleading. Verse 3. If I have found favour in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. The exact words that Haman used in the decree. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent. For, the, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. At this point, you could see Haman's mouth open wide. His fork drops and his wine glass crashes to the floor. Queen Esther is a Jew. The truth stuns Haman, the king, and everyone in attendance. Not only is Esther fully and openly declaring that she is a Jew, she is also uncovering Haman's evil plan to commit genocide on her Jewish people. Esther drops a bombshell. She shakes the king up that the king will be worse off by this treasonous act that will wipe off the Jewish subjects that are loyal to the king. And his beloved queen will die as well. Why an act of treason? In Esther chapter 6, we could detect Haman's aspiration for, for more than his current station in life as a prime minister. He was harboring thoughts of usurping the king's power and becoming king himself. That is why in Esther chapter 6, when the king asked what should be done to a person whom the king desires to honour, as Aaron explained last week, Haman was quick to suggest the putting on of the king's robe and crown and riding on the king's horse. He wants to be king. He was thinking that he deserved to take the king's position. Satan also wanted to be like the Most High and take the position of God. That's where Satan fell. The shock king asked in rapid fire, verse 5, Who is he and where is he who has dared to do this? You can almost visualize Esther's finger gradually rising and pointing to Haman's head. Esther proclaims, a foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Esther's indicting words forcefully portray what an evil and wicked man Haman is. Haman's face turns pale. He is terrified and shaking with fear. His evil plans have been uncovered. His sin has been revealed. Shame is overcoming him. Fear is rising within his spine. It is too late for him to crawl underneath the table now. Such is the terror when sin is revealed. Adam and Eve hid from God in the Garden of Eden as shame overwhelmed them as after they have eaten the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and fully realising that they have sinned against God. When children are caught doing things they are not supposed to do, 
you can see a sense of shame written on their faces. God knows all our sins. It is terrifying and shameful when all our sins are fully revealed. Only the blood of Christ can cover our sin. Only Christ can deliver us from our sins and clothe us with his robes of righteousness. At this point, King Ahasuerus, who is well known for his volatile and fearsome anger, storms off into the garden to control his temper. He knows that he has been tricked by Haman into signing a death sentence on his beloved queen. Yet, what can he do? The, the decrees of Persian kings are irreversible. He cannot declare publicly that it was Haman who did it because he will look silly, naive, and unaware of what his prime minister is doing. Meanwhile, Haman is left with the queen. Under Persian customs and protocols, no man should be left alone with the king's harem, especially not alone with the king's favourite queen. Only eunuchs who have undergone physiological reconditioning can attend to the harem. Yet if Haman follows the king to the garden, he knows full well that it will be a sure death sentence from the king in the heat of the moment. He's trapped. In panic and extreme fear for his life, Haman leaps across to the queen's couch to beg for her mercy. He falls onto the couch where Esther is reclining to plead for his dear life. We're not sure whether Haman at this point is tipsy, but this is certainly the tipping point. Some commentators say that the phrase falling over the couch means that Haman is probably holding onto Esther's knees or feet and pleading earnestly for forgiveness. In holding onto the queen, he violates yet another Persian protocol that no man can come within seven steps of the king's harem. It is trespassing the king's orders if any man should step over the line. The king returns from the garden and catches Haman touching Queen Esther in a couch. How dare Haman sexually assaults the queen in the king's presence, even in his own house. Haman has not only breached the king's rule by stepping over the line, but also violated the king's order by falling over to where Queen Esther is reclining. The king's attendants spring into action. With one soup, they cover Haman's head. The sentence has been passed by the king. Haman has lost his face. Execution will be meted out. Just then, Harbona, who is one of the eunuchs in attendance, offers a very timely and politically good piece of information without sounding that is his suggestion. Verse 9, Harbona says, Moreover, the gallows that Haman has prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, is standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high. Hang him on that, the king bellows. Commentators say, and this has been substantiated by archaeological evidence, that Persian gallows are not cross-beam with a rope as a noose to strangle the convicted. Rather, they are wooden poles used to impale true persons to be punished the very instrument that the enemy of God's people constructed to harm God's people is the very same instrument that God used to protect God's people and judge the enemy of God's people. In Isaiah 54, 17, God says, No weapon formed against you will succeed. In Proverbs 26, 27, it says, Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him who starts it rolling justice and retribution. 
The book of Esther contains many mirror images. In Esther chapter 1, the king held two feasts. In Esther 6 and 7, the queen held two banquets. In Esther 1, the king made a request to the queen, but the queen refused to accede to the request. In Esther chapter 7, the queen made a request to the king, but the king couldn't accede to the request. The king appears incapable of making independent decisions. And depending on who is advising him at that point in time, he could either make a poor or good decision. In Esther 1, Memukan the prince suggested that Queen Vashti was never to come before the king again and a decree be issued that all women should give honour to their husbands. In Esther chapter 7, Habona the eunuch suggested that a 75-feet gallows was available, implying that Haman could be executed immediately and never to appear before the king again. Now let's look at the interactions of the different characters up to this point. If Esther had not acted with courage, the king would not have known the predicament of Esther and her Jewish people. If Haman had not jumped across to the queen's couch, he might not have exacerbated an already bad situation. If the king had gone off somewhere else and not returned from the garden to the banquet room, he might not have found Haman falling over his queen. If Haman hasn't made the gallows, he might not have been hung the very night by these 50 cubics or 75 feet gallows. Where is God in all this that just transpired? God is clearly not visibly present in this set of circumstances. The actions of men which are all independent and interdependent of each other, are all motivated by their own idiosyncrasies, greed, fear, love, hatred, pride, needs, survival instincts, temperament, etc. Yet the sum of all these actions of men only works towards fulfilling God's sovereignty and achieving God's ultimate purpose, which is the defeat of evil, the death of sinners, and the preservation of God's people. Third point, the final destiny of man expresses God's sovereignty. The king passes the sentence. Haman is hung using the 75-feet pole that he has made. In verse 10, after they hang Haman, the wrath of the king abated. Judgment has been served, the penalty has been carried out. The king's wrath is abated. Esther chapter 7 highlights the ironies of those who are against God and against God's purposes. Haman wants to hang Mordecai, but ended up being hung by the very apparatus that he made. Haman is incensed that Mordecai doesn't bow down to him, but he ends up bowing down to a Jewish woman instead. Haman wanted to exterminate God's people, but ends up being exterminated himself. Haman thinks that power, his power, his wealth, his status will protect him and sustain him for a long period to come after Mordecai is gone. Yet Haman didn't realise that death and destruction can come suddenly and quickly when the king's judgement is meted out. Haman breached the king's rules and violated the king's command and was put to death. Yet all of us transgressed against God's law with our iniquities, 
and sin against God by our acts of commission and omissions. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Evil and sins have to be punished, and the penalty is death. We are all sinners, and we deserve the punishment of death. While we may say we are not evil like Haman, yet God says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Esther sought deliverance for herself and her people from the king's death sentence, but the king's decree could not be changed. We need deliverance from our sins and punishment of death and eternal separation from God. But God's decree cannot be changed as the wages of sin is death. But the good news for all of us is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come in the form of a man to die on the cross for our sins. Unlike Haman, who was evil and sinful and fully deserving of the death he suffered, Christ was perfectly sinless and didn't deserve the punishment that was heaped upon him. King Ahasuerus had to punish the perpetrator of the crime, and Haman was punished by death. Because of our sin against God, we deserve to be punished by death and suffer the eternal separation from God, from a holy God. But Jesus, who was sinless, took on our punishment. He's the only unblemished lamb deemed worthy by God as a perfect sacrifice for the atonement of our sin. The Jews consider it to be a divine curse to be hung on a tree, according to Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 to 23. A 75-feet wooden pole was used to pierce the evildoer and cursed Haman. Jesus Christ, who was without sin, was nailed to a wooden cross to take on the curse that we deserve and pay the price of our sins. Christ hung on the cross for you and I. After the king's judgment has been fully executed, the wrath of the king abated. The wages of our sins have to be paid for, and Christ has paid it all. In Matthew 27, verse 51, after Christ was crucified, the veil of the temple was torn open. It was then that the wrath of God abated for all who believe in Christ and come to accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. We now have free access to God through Christ. Christ's righteousness is now imputed to us we have exchanged our sin for the righteousness of Christ. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. Esther pleaded with the king for deliverance for herself and her Jewish people. Haman pleaded with Esther for forgiveness, thinking that Esther could intercede and ask for pardon from the king on his behalf. Psalm 3 verse 8 says, Salvation belongs to the Lord, for there is only one true God, and there is only one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
don't look for salvation in men, religion, or philosophies that cannot save. Only Jesus saves. Salvation is a free gift from God. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one can boast. Man's final destiny expresses God's sovereignty. Haman died. Evil is defeated. And the evil duel and sinner has been put to death. Esther and her Jewish people have been preserved. God has accomplished his plan. Christ, the Messiah, would emerge from the Jewish lineage. His subsequent crucifixion perfectly fulfills God's plan of redemption of his people and deliver us from hell to eternal life. So which side do you belong? For those of us who are in Christ, we have the blessed assurance that our life now and in eternity is secure and safe in the hands of Christ. There are many things in life that we cannot control, but we can live securely in Christ. We can trust Christ that if God be for us, who can be against us? In Romans 8, 31. This confidence should help us live life boldly for Christ with full faith in Christ. It is not too late to receive Christ's gift of salvation now, his free gift of salvation. As we can see from this short segment of Esther chapter 7, there are important less truths that we should reflect upon about life itself. God gives man free will to exercise his wisdom and gives him the latitude to take actions on his own volition. Man may think that he has the wisdom and all the freedom in the world to do whatever he wants. However, man's finite wisdom and actions can never thwart the infinite wisdom, power, and glory of God. At the end of the day, man's free will can only serve to fulfill the will and plan of God that God has laid down from eternity past. Let me close by reading the Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 3.1 on the subject of God's eternal decree, which says this. God from eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby, neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty and contingency or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you that you are omniscient, omnipotent, and sovereign God. We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And for all of us who believe in him, our lives are securely hidden in him. We thank you that despite the many things that happen to us that are beyond our control, Father, we thank you that we have a loving God 
who is in perfect control of our lives. And we want to give you all glory and praise. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.